You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Turn, stand please, out of respect of God's Word. And uh, we'll read this uh, first 14 verses today. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and uh, we've just come through the Christmas season, so you might have thought that a Christmas message that we weren't going to have anymore, but this one really is, uh, it, it fits along with the season, but it's really what happens after Christmas, and I think we'll see the, the connection to that here, and so I think it's an appropriate time of year to preach this message. John chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 1 down through verse 14. And it says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You could spend a whole series preaching on that verse right there, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Won't do it completely justice, but what, a, what an outstanding truth there that Jesus Christ is God. It, verse 2, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world." He was in the world, Jesus Christ, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What a great truth. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh... And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to talk this morning about how our response to Christ's coming determines everything. Our response to Christ's coming determines everything, or our responses to Christ, uh, how they determine whether or not we have eternal life. And I hope that you'll pay attention this morning, especially those of you who've come in today not sure of your position in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth today. I pray that you'd help me to convey it clearly. I pray that you'd be pleased with everything that is said behind this pulpit, Lord, that I wouldn't be the one speaking, but that your Holy Spirit would fill me and that his words would be all that's heard today. God, I do pray for those that have maybe come today that are searching for an answer or searching for something from you, I pray that you would help them to find it in your word. Bless our time together. Thank you for, our, for this book. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. One of my favorite memories as a kid was reading the cartoons in the daily newspaper. Now, I don't know if anybody even gets a newspaper anymore. Um, doesn't happen. Seems like it's Uh, Most of them are kind of ending circulation or going out of print these days. But 
I especially, as a kid, I especially liked coming home on Sunday afternoons and finding the paper there to be the first to open it and get the cartoons. My sister and I were normally in a competition to find who would be able to get to, we called them the funny papers first. Now, um, we, one of my favorite cartoons in the funny papers was Peanuts with Charlie Brown. I think probably most of us have heard of him and Snoopy and Linus and Schroeder. We only talk about the most deeply rich spiritual things on Sunday mornings here, by the way. So uh, Linus and Schroeder and Snoopy and Charlie Brown. But, you know, of, of all the characters in the Peanuts cartoon strip, there was one that was always my least favorite. And you probably know who she is. Who was it? It was Lucy, one of the great bullies in the history of media. Now, if you know anything, Lucy, I think that she was Linus's older sister. And um, I, I, I related to Linus. I won't, I'm not going to tell you why. But um, she would mock and she would imitate or intimidate the other kids. And she was the one that when Charlie Brown would try to kick the football, she would pull the football away and send Charlie Brown flying. She would call them blockheads. I mean, those kind of things. She would set up this psychiatry booth. Maybe you saw this. And for a nickel, she would give very blunt and unhelpful advice to her friends. But it turned out, though, I remember uh, this certain series that was run in the Peanuts cartoon. I think it probably would have been in the last 15 years or so. Um, but it turns out Lucy needed some help of her own. See, around Christmas, Lucy suffered uh, over, over a course of a few days at least, and maybe it was recurring. But she suffered what she called, from what she called, post-Christmas letdown. And I remember that as a kid. You know, you build up. To this day, you start in July sometime, you're building up to December the 25th, and once it's over, it seems like it's over just as fast as it began. And Lucy, in this, in this episode, is telling Charlie Brown, she says, there's nothing worse than post-Christmas letdown. A deep depression sets in. Your bones ache. You feel tired all over. And if anyone even mentions a partridge in a pear tree, you want to scream. Charlie Brown responds with partridge in a pear tree, and Lucy screams and sends him flying head over heels. Well, I know that's silly, but I do think there's a valid post-Christmas letdown. And you spend weeks, you lead up to this event, this event, it's over soon, you're left with wrapping paper, you're left with boxes, and you're left with more toys than you know what to do with. If you've got children, you understand that. And to top it all off, you overate for a couple of days, and now you can't wear any of the new clothes you got for Christmas. So how do you deal with post-Christmas letdown? Well, there, it's deeper than that. See, one way is to help people, or, or maybe to understand God's desired outcome when he sent Jesus Christ to earth. You see, a lot of people, they misunderstand Christmas. They miss God's purpose by focusing on Christ laying in the manger as a baby, but what they don't realize, many of them, is that his purposes didn't end in the manger. He had larger purposes. He had a bigger plan for sending his son, and they did not stop in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ came in order that something might happen in us. I've been uh, quoting the verse uh, that Jesus Christ, in 1 Timothy, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. His job did not end. His purposes did not end there in Bethlehem. So if his coming doesn't change the people that he came to, then that means his purpose is left unfulfilled. 
If we stop at the manger and we just assume that's all it's about, then we have missed the purpose. And if if you have post-Christmas letdown on a spiritual basis, it has nothing to do with presents. It has nothing to do with having to go back to school. It has nothing to do with saying goodbye to family that came to visit. It has nothing to do with all of those other things. A post-Christmas letdown spiritually takes place when God's purpose for sending Jesus Christ to this planet is left unrealized in your life. See, before we look at all of those purposes, though, I want to start with three thoughts today. And they're all found right here in John 1. Those three thoughts are who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and how people responded. Who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and how people responded. The first part of this chapter deals with who Christ is, who Jesus is. Now, John's whole purpose for the book of John, writing this gospel, was to convince the readers that Jesus Christ is, is God. We could, we're not going to turn there, but John 20, at the very end of the book, it says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So his purpose for writing the book of God, John, the gospel of John, was that the readers would be convinced of Christ's divinity that they would believe that Jesus Christ is God, that they would believe on him and have eternal life. So he starts the book making the case that Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. In the beginning, he says, in the beginning was the word. Now, the term beginning refers to creation. It refers to the moment, the instant that that creation began, the the universe began. And uh, don't let anybody tell you that God was not involved in that process. Don't let anybody tell you that God, was, that God is non-existent and the universe began in an instant, but it began by chance, by a bunch of gases coming together. No, there was a, an orchestrator behind it, a designer behind it, who, who was the reason that the, that the universe began. And what, what John begins by saying is that at the beginning of creation, at the beginning of the universe, Jesus Christ, capital W, the Word, He was there. In the beginning was the Word. See, in the Old Testament, you say, well, that's a strange name for God to call Jesus Christ Word with a capital W. But if you think about the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, um, when God expressed Himself to the children of Israel, He did it with His words. It was the expression of God to Himself, words, small case W, lowercase w. Well, when Jesus Christ came, God was also expressing Himself to mankind, but this time he wasn't doing it through his words, he was doing it through a person, the Word, capital W. So it was still an expression of God to mankind, but no longer just through words, it was a a person. Jesus Christ was in existence when the heavens and the earth were created, and he took on a body when he came to this earth. He's eternal, and if he's eternal, he is God, because only God is eternal, And so from his first words, John is making the case that Jesus Christ, God the Son, is eternal and thus of the same character of God the Father, and now he's walking right in front of us. God's expression of himself came in a person. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's an interesting phrase. That phrase, with God, means face to face. Jesus Christ From the beginning of eternity, or there's no beginning of eternity, from eternity, Jesus Christ was with God, and the implication is they were face to face. There was fellowship. 
from the beginning, from eternity. There's been, always been fellowship. In the beginning was the word. He was there at creation. And also the, the, that from the very eternity, the thing that we can't even wrap our minds around, the word was with God. They were communing. They were fellowshipping. There's not just God. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they've had fellowship from eternity. Try to wrap your mind around it. Go. No, I can't either. But Jesus Christ is eternal. He is God's son. He's God's expression of himself. He has always existed. And they have fellowship. They're distinct persons. And if you go back to Genesis 1, 26, you see that God says, let us make man in our image. It wasn't just God. There, were, there was the Godhead, the Trinity. They're not three distinct gods. They're one God, but they're three personalities within that one God. So what, what this is saying is that Jesus Christ wasn't just a thought in God's mind. Jesus Christ wasn't just something in imagination. He's not just a God. He's not maybe just a good person. No, he's an actual person. He's been a person since eternity. It says, if, and if there's any doubt, he ends verse 1 by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's divine. He is of the same essence and character of God is Jesus Christ. He's not just a thought in God's mind. He's a pre-existent, eternal being who is face-to-face with God from eternity. And just for good measure, in case that wasn't clear enough in verse 1, John says the same was in the beginning with God. Let me just say it a different way. The same was in the beginning with God, the Word. And then in verse 3, he furthers his case, and he says all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. So again, he's reemphasizing the points he's already making By saying, Jesus Christ was involved at creation. Without him was not anything made that was made. Folks, today, whether or not you believe it, whether or not you've ever heard it this way, Jesus Christ is God. He is eternal and he is creator. He has existed as long as God has. He has no beginning. He was there in the beginning. He is equal with God. From the beginning of creation, the way he says it in John chapter 8 is, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... I am. And you say, well, that sounds like bad grammar to me. No, it's intentional. What he's saying is, think about any, any moment in your history. Think about a thousand years ago. Think about before Abraham. Think about 2,000 years from now. Think about any moment in any history, in your history or history past. Think about it, and I am. He's always in the present tense. He always has been. He's always existed. That means he exists outside the realm of time. Our timeline on on earth has nothing to do with God. There's no constraints on God. He just, and this is bad grammar, but he just am. I am. Now, by understanding that Jesus Christ, and we're going to wade through this before we get to the application. There's a lot of, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the Bible there's a lot of doctrine. And so we're going to, we're going to, Approach it and and take it on head on. I won't even do it justice, but it's good for us to hear some doctrinal preaching sometimes. So by understanding that Jesus Christ is eternal and creator, that he's not a created being, he is a creator, the only conclusion then is that Jesus Christ is God. So then John talks about the life that is in Jesus Christ. In verse 4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. From eternity, from the beginning of creation and eternity, life has always resided in the Word. So what life is John talking about? 
Well, he's not talking about physical life. He's not saying, well, he, he became alive and he lived a, a life here on earth. No, remember, Jesus Christ is eternal. So most of the time, if you read John or the other Gospels, when you see the term life, it's not just talking about you're alive and you're breathing and the 70 or 80 years you have on planet earth, that's life. No, when he's talking about life as it pertains to God, he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about a different kind of life. Now, a lot of people think that eternal life simply means, well, duration. Eternal life simply means, well, um, this is how long it lasts. But in, 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 And although it does mean duration, eternal life is not just duration, it's also the quality of life. What he's saying is, this is a different kind of life, folks. In him was the life. Now, it's not the same kind of life that we think about. This is eternal life. This is of a different quality than what we understand. This is not just about duration, although it doesn't mean duration. There is no beginning. There is no end. No, eternal life is a different kind of life. It's not just about length. So in other words, it's different than the kind of life we see. It's different than the kind of life that we're used to. He is God, which means he's on a different level. His life is different than ours. And it becomes more clear when you read verses 4 and 5, which is then our transition from our first point, who Christ is, to our second, how Christ came. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So here's why Jesus Christ came. So we've transitioned from who Christ is to how he came. And we know that Jesus Christ came in unexpected ways. He wasn't born in a palace. And around this time of year, we've all heard the stories and we understand he didn't come as a prince. He was born the son of a carpenter. He was laid in a feeding trough as an infant. But his method of coming makes more sense when you realize he did not come to set up a kingdom. Jesus Christ did not come to reign over the earth. He came offering life. He came offering eternal life. Don't get bogged down. Please stay with me here. See, John says that life was in Jesus, and when he put his life on display, it was like a light. What he was doing when Jesus Christ came, he was showing us what eternal life is like. And what he was doing, what John, when he says this life was the light of men, he's saying that when he came, he showed us something we hadn't seen before. He showed us the kind of life we'd never even understood before. It was like he came and he turned on a light for us. And he was, it was like, he, what John is saying, it was like Jesus Christ came into this world with a totally different kind of life than we've ever seen. Living in a totally different kind of way than we've ever seen anybody else live before. And it was like he came and he turned on the lights for us. And suddenly we can see what God is like inside this human body. We can see what God is like and how he would speak and how he would operate and what he would do and how he would carry himself. And a lot of people think that God is this person. He, and, and deism will teach you this, that somebody would take a top, like you know, spin a top and just let it go. And some people say God is like that. That God is just up in heaven, he created the earth, and like a top he just spun it, and then he sits back and he watches this. No, God has always been in pursuit of men. He's always been actively involved in our life, and actually he has always been turning on the lights for us. By that I mean he's always been revealing to us how we should live. I mean, in the Old Testament, he did it through the, through the uh, law. 
when he gave children, the children of Israel the law, that was him turning on the light and saying, listen, this is how you are naturally. This is how you should be. Let me turn on the light for you and let me let you see what, how you're supposed to live. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. All of these things. What he was doing was turning on the light so that we could see the kind of life that God lives and the kind of life that we should try to live. He was turning on the lights for us. You know, this, the, the Ten Commandments were his light shining. He's so different. He's so holy. Uh, he's so pure and he's so perfect. And we dwell in darkness, he says. That contrast then, when he turned on the light, it was stark. We almost couldn't, hold, we almost couldn't keep our eyes open. It was, it, it was in such contrast to what we see when we look around. And now he's shining this light. He's showing us the kind of eternal life that he has. And it's been dark, and now the contrast is bright. And the contrast between darkness and light, it was taken to a whole new level when Christ came. See, he wasn't, God wasn't just saying, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not make, bear, make a, a false image, or you know, make an idol, that you shall have no other gods before me, or make any graven images. No, he's not just saying things anymore. He's saying, you know what? More than just my words, let me give you the word. And let him walk around. And you watch him. And I want you to see the contrast between the way that he lives, eternal life, and darkness all around you. And I just want you to observe. I want you to see the, the difference between us. People have this breathing human example walking and talking in front of them, displaying eternal life. In verse 14 of our chapter, it says, look down at it, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. See, God the Son had a body. It was made of the same stuff as yours and mine. His flesh, incarnation. God had made appearances in the Old Testament to Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and Ezekiel and Daniel, but this was different. See, this time he entered into a physical body, all God, yet all man in a body. Inside that baby's body, you've held a baby, an eight pound baby, a small baby in your hands, and thought how innocent and how beautiful and how precious and how, and how small and helpless. Well, here's God inside a body like that. All God, yet God, yet all man. And then he began to grow. And as he grew, he revealed, it was, he was turning the lights on for people. He was letting them see what it's like to live eternal life. And he wasn't doing it, but listen, he could have come. And think of, there are many ways Jesus Christ could have come to earth. He could have come with thunder and lightning and he could have, it would have gotten everybody's attention. He could have come and, and had a storm and, and he could have come with hurricanes and he could have come, uh, you know, setting the world on fire and everybody would have noticed. He also could have come as an apparition. He could have come as a ghost. He could have come, um, you know, floating around and nobody would think anything of that because he's God. And yeah, that's how I would expect him to come. But he blew all expectations out of the water by putting himself inside a human body. And so if he had come as a ghost, we wouldn't be surprised that he could walk on water. If he had come as an apparition, I wouldn't be surprised that he could take five loaves and two fishes and turn them into food for 5,000 people. If he was a ghost or apparition, or if he had come with thunder and lightning, I wouldn't be surprised that he could reach down and touch a sick person and bring them back to health. It wouldn't surprise me because he's different than me. But here he is in a body, just like mine. And in a body like ours, he's walking on water. 
That's what caught people's attention. Because he's in a body, yet he's doing things that nobody should be able to do. He's healing the sick and he's raising the dead. And he healed, did you hear he healed those lepers? I mean, nobody's ever done that before. And he walked on water and he's feeding thousands of people and he's doing all these amazing things. And he's got a body just like ours. That's why people took notice. That's what was turning the light on. Because people are saying, now, if he was a ghost, that's one thing. If he had thunder and lightning, that's one thing. But he has a body, and he's living in a way nobody else ever has. And the life that Christ lived, it lit up the darkness. I mean, it's not just about a stable, and it's not just about a manger and a star and shepherds. God was putting his plan to bring eternal, his kind of life, eternal life and light to the world, and put them on display inside a human body and say, you could live like this too. Now, I'm not saying you can walk on water and you can do all these amazing things, but you can live like Jesus Christ. And you can, you can have love like you've never been able to have before. And you, can, and you can live without sin. Now, not perfect, because we're all sinners, but God, through the Holy Spirit, can empower you, even in your fleshly body, to live in a way you never thought you could before. And by putting it on display inside a body, he was telling the world, this eternal life that is in my son, it can be in you too. But see, men have grown so used to the darkness, verse 5 says that he came and he turned on the light, but the darkness comprehendeth it not. So he came and he was saying, he was saying, this is the kind of life that you could have. This is God's life and it's inside this body. You can have this kind of life too. But as he lived it, men who loved darkness were saying, well, I don't don't know about this. This is the condemnation that lights come into the world and men love darkness rather than light, John 3 says. They like the darkness. I mean, if someone turns on a light, you can see what's happening in the shadows. God's light came and it exposed man's sin. And they didn't like that. The darkness couldn't grab a hold of this. They didn't get it. And because they didn't get it, what did they do? They tried to destroy it. See, Christ didn't come here on some cosmic ego trip. He was coming to reveal God's power so that men would be drawn to the light of eternal life. He wasn't just looking for attention from the angels and shepherds that night in Bethlehem. That wasn't enough for him. He didn't didn't finish his work when men thronged to him to see him perform his miracles. That's not why he came. No, Christ's life on earth wasn't about life on earth. His purpose was to turn on the light and reveal God to men so that they would be drawn to eternal life. He was offering life. Life from a different place. Life from eternity. A different kind of life. And listen, folks, when he died on the cross and he rose again, he confirmed that the offer was real. It was real. So here's the purpose of this chapter. You start breaking it down. You realize, well, who, who is Christ? Well, that's essential to your understanding. He is God. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, then you cannot be saved. He is God. Every human being needs to understand that. You, second... Why did he come? Well, to know why he came is important. We must all understand that he came to offer life. But knowing those things, who he is and why he came, see, most people stop there. Say, now I know who he is, now I know he came, that's great. But the third point is the most perplexing, and that is how people responded. See, Jesus Christ came offering light. 
life. God's purpose in sending his son was that we would receive life. That's the reason he came. That means, in focus, because we're about to make the transition into the application, I don't want you to miss it. That means that the end purpose of God, sending Jesus Christ to earth, was a restoration of a broken relationship. He sent his son to restore the relationship between a holy God and men living in darkness. See, every man is a sinner without eternal life. And so God sent Jesus Christ to make life possible in us. His purpose in being born is to reconcile the relationship between God and man. The result of his coming is that we would be closer to God. The result of God's sending Jesus Christ was that our relationship would be right and restored. It's kind of like this. If I represent Jesus Christ and I have a commission from my father to go down and greet someone, let's say this. Let's say I want you to see this building from the perspective up here on the platform. Because once you, if I don't step on a candle here, when you're standing up here, it looks pretty good. And so I'm thinking, who, who do I want to bring up here to let them come and see the perspective I get to see on Sunday mornings? Let's see, who do I want, who do I want to bring? So I come down uh, among us here, and I'm looking around, and who do I want to embarrass? And oh, here's my wife, okay? And I'm like, oh, you've got to come see this, okay? You've got to come up here, and I just want you to see from my perspective what I get to see on Sunday mornings. So just to make this awkward, I mean, just res- re- respond how you, how, however you want to. Okay, wow, that's, it's great. Okay, so that's, if that's my purpose, you can go sit down. That was easy, okay? So let's say then, that's my goal. I want her to see things from my perspective. And I come down here, and I'm like, well, I really want you to see things from my perspective. Okay, all right. And then I walk right back up here. And carry on. Has my purpose for coming down to her been fulfilled? No, because she didn't follow me. That's not new. Okay, she didn't follow me. No, listen. Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ came so the ultimate purpose was that we would have eternal life. But here's where most people stop. Jesus Christ came and here he is in the manger and he's in Bethlehem and then they enjoy that and now it's over and then they move on with their lives. But they've ne- they didn't follow him back up to the platform to see what it's all about. The end result of Christ's coming was the cross so that we would have eternal life but most people miss it. They stop at the manger. They stop in Bethlehem. They don't carry it through. So God's purpose is that the result of Christmas, when it's over, is that we have a closer relationship with God. That's his reason for coming. And it seems so easy that that it would be easy for people to say, well, if that's what he wants, then I'm going to embrace that and that purpose, and I'm going to to allow Christ's coming to draw me closer to God and have have me have a closer relationship. And and so that must happen with everybody, right? But I think... If we understand, we see it, most people miss it. See, most people don't see the reason for his coming. They stop at the manger and they don't realize that he was coming to offer life. And you have to go from the manger to the cross to the tomb to understand that. So how did people in this very chapter respond? 
Well, look, look here. Remember, Christ came. The God-man came to earth to offer eternal life. So was there fanfare? Did everybody receive it and everybody was excited? Were there parties? And Well, not most people. See, there are three responses mentioned here in John 1 to Christ's coming. And two of the three are not positive. Look at verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. So here's Christ coming. He's coming to offer eternal life. He's coming to display light and turn on the light for, men, for mankind. And it says in verse 10, he's in the world. The one who created the world, the creator. But the world didn't even know him. And I would say that some were ignorant. Here's the first response here. Some were ignorant. Some, we could say, ignored his coming. Here's Jesus Christ, the creator, and some just totally missed it. Like we talked about last week. You know, what a sad admission that the creator was right next to them and they didn't see it. If we're going to go back to the traditional Christmas story, we might call this the innkeeper like last week. The person who owned that home and here's the baby right outside the door and they missed it. And they interview years later, you would think they would say, I just didn't know. I would go back and change it if I could. But there are people that Christ is the offer of eternal life and he stands right in front of them, but they ignore the offer or they miss the offer. They say, well, I never heard of him, or I heard of him, but I just didn't have time, or I heard of him, but I just didn't really understand who he was. And listen, you can use ignorance to not receive Christ as an excuse if you want to, but those who ignore him will not have eternal life. This first response, it it seems so, so obvious, he's right there in front of you. And yet many people with the offer of eternal life will totally ignore it. And they'll say, well, I just didn't know, or I'm ignorant of it. I didn't realize he was there. But if you go to Romans chapter 1, and you see that even through creation, those in Romans 1 are without excuse. There's enough in creation for them to know about God. So claiming ignorance isn't a good enough excuse. And there's some even here this morning, and you might say, well, nobody ever told me about Jesus, or I never heard the gospel before, so I, I can claim ignorance, right? Well, no, not now, because you've heard it. So when Christ comes into the world, don't ignore it. Because the end result of you ignoring it is not a free pass. The end result of you ignoring it is to die and spend eternal, eternity separated from God. He comes offering eternal life. And if you ignore it, you don't get a free pass. You simply don't get eternal life. And I believe that many people will look back and they'll regret the times they ignored Jesus Christ. Even right now, somebody might be prompting in your heart, the Holy Spirit is working on you and he's saying, come to Jesus Christ, have eternal life, and you're trying to push it away. You're trying to ignore it. He's coming to offer you life. Don't leave him outside your door in the cold. He offers you life beyond anything you can imagine. Claiming ignorance doesn't get you a free pass. The second response that I see here, so there were those that ignored him in verse 10, but there are those in verse 11 that rejected him straight up. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So these are the people that they heard about him, but they refused to submit to him. Maybe they were like Herod in this story. If we're going to talk about the Christmas story and make some connections there, if the first set of people that ignored him, they were the innkeepers or the people in the home that just didn't know he was there, this would be the Herods of the Christmas story. 
And if you know anything about Herod, when he heard about the birth of Jesus Christ, he wanted all those boys that were under a certain age in the whole countryside to be killed because he didn't want a king to rise up and threaten his kingdom. These were those that heard about him, but they rejected him and wanted to destroy him. Or these were those that heard about him, but they refused to submit to him. These were those that loved the darkness, so they, just, they tried to destroy the light. These were the religious folks who couldn't believe eternal life could be that simple. Wrapped up in a baby? I mean, what are you talking about? Just believing? No, we have rules. We have laws to keep. See, the second kind of response are those that just straight up, outright reject the offer of eternal life. Those who will not, if you reject Jesus Christ, you will not have eternal life. See, maybe you've heard the story of his coming. And you understand what Christ did. And you know that you're a sinner. But you don't want to submit to his plan for your life. You're willing to take the risk by putting off eternal life. Because of your direction. Because of your lifestyle. You have a kingdom set up. And and you are just flat out telling Jesus Christ, no. Well, friend, the conviction on your heart even right now. That conviction that you feel, that pressure in your chest, the heaviness that you feel, it is God giving you another chance to accept his offer. He wants you to have eternal life. He offers it to you. Don't let pride keep you from accepting this offer of eternal life and living in a way you never thought you could. And don't don't let pride keep you from accepting the offer and spending eternity in heaven with God. Because some will just ignore and you think, well, that has its own level uh, um, of punishment or consequence. But for those that reject, who know the story, who have heard the gospel and just flat out say, no, I know that he died for my sins, but I don't want his payment. How sad is that? Folks, he comes offering eternal life, not to make your life miserable, but to make it abundant, to make it better. And Christians, we can have our own kingdoms. We can be Herod. The Holy Spirit prompts us about something in our lives that we, sh- that we know shouldn't be there, but we're not willing to submit or give it up, so we say no. What kingdom are you protecting this morning, Herod? See, there's no better position than being right with God. The rest that comes when you finally stop rejecting Him is worth it. So some ignored Him. Some rejected him. And third, in verse 12, some received him. It says, but as many as received him to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If we were talking about the Christmas story, we would say, well, this is the shepherd and the wise men. They they didn't ignore the call. They didn't reject it. They heard about it and they gladly received it. They gladly believed. These are the people that heard the message and they knew something was different. These are the people that saw the contrast between their life and eternal life and they thought, why would I want to live the life I am living in darkness anymore? When I could have that kind of life. Only those who receive Christ have eternal life. Only those that receive Christ have eternal life. I don't know why everyone doesn't just believe. I mean, choosing darkness makes no sense. Choosing Christ means living a life you could never manufacture on your own. It's a life of peace and rest and joy and assurance. We have eternal life. 
And it doesn't come from jumping in a baptistry or keeping some set of rules. We didn't get this life by prayer, uh, praying a certain prayer or living a life of self-denial. No, verse 13 again. We were born not of flesh or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. We were born of blood. Jesus Christ's blood. When you receive eternal life, it's a life from eternity. It didn't come from something you can do. It came from Jesus Christ himself. And when we believe, he puts that life in us. And then he calls us to go out and display that life to other people. Listen, again, Jesus Christ came to do a work in us. And if we're to look at this story today, two-thirds of the people missed it. One-third of the people, it says, they ignored it. The second set of people they rejected it. The minority of the people received it. And I think it's probably the same today. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, was born in a, in a manger to die on a cross and bring eternal life. And I would venture to say the vast majority of people on this planet have either ignored it or rejected it. Maybe there are those in this room Jesus Christ came to bring life, eternal life, life in you. But there may be some in this room, and right now you're ignoring his conviction. There may be some that you know that you need to be saved, you know you need to receive it, but you're flat out rejecting it. Well, let me just encourage you today. If you want eternal life and you want the joy and peace and rest and you're tired of the post-Christmas letdowns, let Christmas have its work in you it's supposed to and that it creates in you a better relationship with the Father. Whether, that, or whether or not it's through salvation for the first time you receive him as your Savior or it could be a Christian today who's gotten far away from God. And you've lived the last many years ignoring and rejecting Christ's call in your life and you're a, you're a child of God. Well, let the result of the Christmas season, the post-Christmas letdown... Get rid of it by saying, God, whatever it is that you want me to submit to you, I want to get back to you. That's, his re that's the result. That's the reason he came, to bring you up to where he is so you could see things from his perspective and live the life you could never live on your own. We got some, we've got some fathers in here, um, and, and you need to submit something to God about the way you've treated your family. And the reason that, you, that you're not as close to God as you need to be is because you haven't been the father or the husband that you need to be. Maybe that's what you need to, as a result of Christmas, Christ coming, maybe that's what you need to give up. Let his work, let his work be done in you. Maybe there's some Christian in here and you've been away from God and you haven't had a walk with him and you've been ignoring and rejected him, rejecting him. Uh, that one thing that you need to do is come to him and repent. And be made reconciled with him. The whole purpose of Christmas, again, is a reconciling of a relationship. And if you don't do something in your life to reconcile yourself to God, then you've missed the Christmas season. Because the whole point of him coming is to restore relationships. If you ignore him, you'll never be restored. If you reject him, you'll never be restored. Understanding who Christ is is essential and knowing why he came changes everything. But if you don't respond correctly to what you know, his coming has been in vain. Because your response to Christ's coming 
determines whether or not you have eternal life. Are you ignoring him? Are you turning away his promptings today? Are you rejecting him just flat out saying no and yes to your own way? Will you receive him? This is the lost and saved alike. Why don't you just open up? Say, God, I've been ignoring or rejecting and I want to receive. Don't suffer a post-Christmas letdown. You're going to go on a rant like Lucy, complaining about everything you've come through and it's just all over and there's just nothing else to look forward to. No, if you have a, rela- if you have a restored relationship with God and that's the result of this Christmas season, that's the best gift you'll ever receive. Let his coming result in a closer relationship with him. That's every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.